Welcome to Running is Bullshit, I'm Stuart. And I'm Amy, and you're listening to the podcast that loves to hate running. Amy, I'm so tired. Oh. I'm so tired. <laughs> oh, I've just worked out, I think I've done 18 races since the end of October. So that's something like a race every two weeks for more than eight months. Jesus. Something like that. And I, I, just, I, I need to stop. I need to stop doing races. I don't think I've done any races since October. Yeah, this is my 12th of the year and you haven't done any yet. No, no. Um, I did orienteering again this week. I will talk more about that later on. But I realised basically during that, uh, I need a good rest and I need to do some actual training because I'm starting to get things to hurt again, which is a bad place. Mm. I've been managed to get out of it for quite a while now, but things are starting to ache again. But like all these races, I've done like canny cross, I've fell races, cross country, trail, road, orienteering, an ultra and a marathon in all of that. Because they just keep coming up and they, oh, that looks fun. I'll do that one. I'll do that one. I'll do that one. And I've, I've, just, I've just had to stop. I've cancelled one in like next week. So I've got three weeks off now. Oh, nice. Good for me. Yeah. Make the most of it. <laughs> nice long rest. That'll be lovely. But I just need to stop doing as many races. They're too fun. Too prolific. That's me. <laughs> Anything on your mind? You want to get off your chest straight away this time? I've got a couple of things that have been annoying me this week. Two totally different things. The first thing is when you're running with your dog and people with off-lead dogs that just let their dog come over to you and bother your dog. (laughs) Because I've got this thing right, and this is more generally... That, so our dogs are, are dogs that go off lead in, in an appropriate environment. But if I see another person with their dog on a lead, I clip my dog on the lead. Because mm-hmm. I know why that dog's on the lead. It might be reactive, whatever. But it's not fair for my dog to go over to another person, another person's dog who's on the lead. Okay, That dog's probably on the lead for a reason. I think it's just basic politeness not to let your dog do that. So that's just a general thing. I know lots of dog owners, particularly dog owners with reactive dogs as well, get annoyed about that rightly so but it's even more annoying when you're trying to run and this uh, dog comes like steaming out of nowhere to play with your dog and like pippin is pippin's quite a playful dog but actually she's really good when she's running she's not really interested in playing with other dogs the most she'll do is like give it the old have a little sniff of each other touch noses and then she's carrying on and the worst thing is when another dog's then trying to run after your dog so i've got pippin that's like you know looking around and stopping sort of stopping in front of me then i've got to pay attention to another dog that's trying to run to get to pippin and running around me and it's just a recipe i'm foreshadowing this but it's just a recipe for me falling <laughs> over which i do quite a lot yeah well it's when the dog gets between you and your dog as well because yeah. yeah. you just well, well what do i do now yeah and especially when you're running and the other dog is following you and it gets to the point, you can hear the owner shouting after it, like, come back, come back. And it gets to the point where you're like, right, okay, I've got to stop now or else this yeah. dog is going to keep following me and it's going to get lost. And I've got to, and some, sometimes I've had to turn around and run the dog back to its owner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done that. Or you have to just stop and just shoot the dog away. Like, okay, yeah. that's enough now. Off you go. Or just like try and tell it to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know, this is probably a British thing, but I'm never confrontational about it. I feel like I'd be more confrontational if my dog was reactive and upset by it. But it's just me that's, Pippin's not too bothered. Like, it's yeah. me that's upset by it. So I'm never like, put your dog on a lead or anything like that. I'm just like, don't Sorry, worry. Sorry, your dog's just bitten me. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't worry. It's like, yeah, it really grinds my gears. So me and Pippin went for a run this morning, like a 10-mile run that was like a loop up, but well, yeah, up the Ely Trail and then back down the Taft Trail. So it's quite a popular place with dog walkers mm-hmm. and just multiple dogs just running up to us and just trying to play with Pippin. And I'm like, Pippin is on a lead. Pippin is attached to me on a lead. Don't let your dog approach. 
Yeah, Holly almost got bitten by a dog the other day. Um, she was running, uh, she was doing the Penrose pilgrimage that we've done, mm. and I did a little while ago as well. And she was running past a house, and her Frenchie came after her and was like really barking aggr- and like gr- aggressively lunging at her as well. Oh, so she took a quick video of it. She said, in the end, basically, she just had to run away from it because she knew she could outrun a Frenchie. She was really close to being bitten by that. Oh, I hate that. I've had dogs run after me before and the owner's been like, oh, he's just trying to play. And it's like, you know, I mean, to be fair, Pippin does that around other runners, but that's why she's on a lead in places yeah. where we might encounter other runners, you know? And yeah. it's not, where if she chases someone, she's not barking. She looks like she wants, unless you're scared of dogs, you probably know she wants to play. But yeah, but yeah I, it, oh, I hate stuff like that. I've had that before when you have to kind of start planning Am I going to have to kick this dog? Yeah. Like, you know, just to defend myself. And like, do I push it with my foot? Do I give it a, you know, it's a weird thing to have to start to plan. And you know that if a dog was going, like I have, I love, I love, love, love dogs. I love animals, most animals. But if a dog was trying to bite me aggressively, I would kick its teeth in, you know? No questions asked. I would kick its teeth in. And you just know the owner's going to be like, why are you kicking my dog? It's like, what? I'm just going to, I'm not going to, no dog is going to bite my leg without me yeah. trying to kick its teeth down its yeah, throat, basically. <laughs> well, <laughs> perhaps don't have to go that far, but it sounds I, like you want to at this point. <laughs> I don't want to, but I will if pushed, you know? Yeah. Classic Amy, friend of the animals, unless yeah. they fuck with you, in which case yeah. you will murder the shit out of them. You know what? I, I stand by this. My, I've always said, don't have a pet that you can't overpower. <laughs> don't own an animal. This goes for like that's why I'll never own a horse because if a horse wants to, it could do some damage. No questions. Yeah. If Pippin started anything with me, it'd be the last thing she did. You know, Finley's the same, and Ralphie the cat. And they know it. They, exactly. They, they, I don't have to tell them. I just give. I just have that air of when you put them to bed at me. night. Yeah. Yeah. Good exactly. Night, and if you mess with me, I will end you. Yeah. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. Um, <laughs> wow. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Top tips: Don't own an animal you can't overpower in a fight. Amazing. <laughs> and sort of. So moving on to oh, my God, second. This <laughs> moving on to my second. This isn't as as crazy. My second uh, thing that's been annoying me this week. And it's not related to, to dogs, but it is kind of related to long runs, is, I don't know about you, but any length of run or any gym session that I do in the morning, I feel like I have to have a nap in the day at some point. Yeah. I'm a very big fan of naps. Now, Freya hates naps. Freya doesn't nap, even to the point where she's really tired in the day. And I'll say, just take a nap. Like, I can't take a nap. I'll feel worse afterwards. I'm like, yeah, but it's nice taking a nap. And she, she's not, she's not in, you know, she's not into naps. I love a nap. Now, what I'm trying to do today, though, because it is it does disrupt my my sleep cycle, is I'm trying to pull what I like to call an all dayer. Oof. It's not an all nighter; it's an all dayer. I'm trying. Well, to Well, you stay, stay awake, awake for the whole day. Yeah, yeah, wow. and it's in, uh, so Oof. we're recording this at twenty past three, and I am knackered. I'm getting a bit of a second wind because I've had a coffee, but I am knackered. I, I should have had a nap at about midday today after when I came back after my run. That should have been my nap time. Didn't happen. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm struggling now. Yeah, you don't. But he thinks you don't want to nap too much later than like four o'clock. Yeah, there has to be there has to be a nap limit, or else, especially in the winter when you have a nap and you wake up and it's dark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't want that. It's not good. It's not good. It's very confusing. I'm not much of a napper. I kind of I only nap on holiday for some reason. Oh. I don't know if I go away somewhere, um, especially like if it's hot, I'll have a nice nap in the afternoon. <laughs> so I think I tend to go out and do stuff in the morning, and then maybe go out in the evening, and then I'll be in bed fairly early anyway. But uh, yeah, I like to have a nap in the afternoon. On holiday, generally not at home. 
I literally have a sofa bed in my office that is for guests, but it's also, I have a nap at lunchtime when I'm working from home. And Freya Good will come in you. and she'll be like, you're not working. I'm like, yeah, this is part of my work routine. I have a nap yeah. at lunchtime. You know? Absolutely. Good for you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, all day is really difficult. Oof, tough work. Um, well, the rest of this episode today, we are talking about orienteering, piss, toenails, vomit, tigers doing marathons and cock rings. Love it. We're not a normal running podcast, are we? I think that's fair to say. I mean, we sh- we should that should be normal. Should be normal. We're setting the It's standards. just normal things in everyday life that we're bringing to the fore. Exactly. We're all thinking it and we're saying it. Absolutely. Finally, someone tells the truth. Anyway, <laughs> before that, uh, we'll catch up with the last episode. And there was a little bit of horse chat after our Horses Are Bullshit episode. Some people agreeing they're bullshit and some people saying how much they love them, including Rachel Bentley, who said she loves horses, but has also been bitten by them many times. Thanks. Great. I don't know which side of the fence you're on. People, horse people always have those stories. My friend rides horses all the time. She was, whatever it is, kicked off a horse, fell off a horse, yeah. broke her shoulder, a shoulder blades, had to be airlifted to hospital, literally. And then she was out riding again. I know the saying is, if you fall off your horse, get back on. But there has to be limits to that. Yeah. I mean, ah, the horse kicked my leg off. Oh, they're yeah. so great. Oh, don't get behind them because they could kill you with one kick. But yeah. I love them. Aren't they lovely? Yeah. Come on. Not about that life. At Vinay Menon. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that completely wrong. Uh, Underscore as well at the end there. Says, well, talking about snakes, I am now on snake number 15 for the year. I live in sunny Arizona and have gotten used to seeing them more or less on a regular basis from March until September slash October. Meet Brent, the latest fellow I saw. And there's a picture of a terrifying... I mean, the scenery is lovely behind it. There's some lovely mountains and then a terrifying snake. I would say that's a tiny snake. I don't know for scale. I mean, the, I mean, with the mountains, it looks very big. Like if you're looking at the scale there, but it might be because the mountains are very far away. That's true, know. yeah. <laughs> but I love at the bottom, uh, it says 15 slash Brent and then the date. So he's naming each snake. <laughs> categorizing them that's wonderful naming each snake that you are see you, are you okay like do you live in some very remote i mean it's arizona. arizona you need something <laughs> to do don't you <laughs> oh and it's just like i imagine his house or her house is just like wallpapered in pictures of snakes like ah oh, yes brent number 15 i thought it's just name ideas because like you're gonna get to august and you've seen 15 already by the time you get to august september oh shit what am i gonna call this one no, it's like chris I'm- two like when, when they have to name storms and stuff, is it in alphabetical Oh, yeah, perhaps, yeah, perhaps it's already planned in advance. Yeah. That would be the organised way to do it. Yeah. Uh, let's have a quick stop for some tea. Ooh. This podcast is partnered with Bird and Blend Tea. And, you know, I've been looking and they also work with a bunch of gamers and streamers. So I guess a running podcast isn't the weirdest partner they have on board. That was interesting. Uh, You can check out our website, runningisbs.com forward slash tea to click our links, grab yourself some amazing tea and use our code TEAISNOTBS at the checkout to get free bonfire tea. Hey. One person who did that was Paul Hibbert, who tweeted us to say he used the code, got lots of tea, tried two already, and they're delicious. Thanks for the tip on the bonfire toffee. His haul was milk oolong chai, tea and toast, campfires and vampires, butter brew, bonfire toffee, the free one, duvet day, chocolate digestive, smoky Russian, an infuser, and two mugs. 
well, I mean, that on its own is halfway towards buying me a car and maybe like a quarter of the way towards taking early retirement. So thank you very much, Paul. I'm quite interested reading that list because some of them, the thing is now I've got a subscription. I don't go on the Bird and Blend website very much because I'm sort of like living off my mm. subscriptions. So I'm quite interested in the idea of tea and toast. I'm yeah. quite like, I don't know about the toast bit. I don't know whether I'd be into that because it just reminds me a bit of soggy bread. So I'm interested. I guess it'll kind of be buttery and maybe a little yeah. bit smoky is what I'm thinking there. Yeah, that, which would be really nice but just the toast in the title throws me off a bit um campfires and vampires what's in that one no idea i just wanted i wanted to kind of throw this in because we've got a photo of them all here but i wanted to put them all in there just to get an idea of some of the other names because there are some great names of teas in there Mm. and so i just wanted to get a few of those in and actually the one i'm drinking today is the first one on the list the milk oolong chai and actually while you've been talking the last few things i've just been sitting here smelling it Mm. i'm trying to figure out it's a really, really interesting one. It's oolong tea, which I don't really know what that is. I think it's kind of, it's the same plant, but they take leaves from the bottom or something like that. Mm. This is called milk oolong. It doesn't have any milk in. It's just oolong tea, ginger, cinnamon, cardamom, cocoa shells, and chili. So it's like a chai tea. And it's, it is somehow, it's creamy. I don't understand. It's just water <laughs> in there. And it somehow is quite creamy. It, you know, it just kind of looks like a fairly kind mm. of weak, kind of yellowy tea. But it's really, really interesting because it's got, the kind of chai flavors in there. It's got a little bit of cocoa shell, so there's a little bit of chocolatiness to it. And then there's a tiny bit of chili in there as well. It's really, really interesting. And apparently with oolong tea, you can re-steep it like six or seven times. Wow. So what I've done, I've got, I actually do have a couple of these like reusable tea bags that Burn Blend do as well. So I've banged a load in there. I used it for my tea. I've now got it drying out and I'll try it again in like a day or two and see if it works. So it's great on a budget. You can just keep using this tea. Definitely. Like, that sounds really good, actually. I will say yeah, I, I, like, steep my tea over too many times. I try and get, like, four cups out of it sometimes. Don't do that with just regular tea because you'll just be drinking water by the end of it. Yeah. So this one actually works for you rather than you just drinking water most of the time. Yeah. But this one actually makes sense. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what have you got? I am drinking baby egg at the moment. So I'm Ooh. going taking us back to Easter. I really like a bit of baby egg. Um, I've actually just finished drinking it, so I, <laughs> I would describe the flavours to you as I drink it, but it was so good, I've actually drank it all. Mm-hmm. So, um, But yeah, baby egg is a really good one, and it's decaffeinated. So if you're looking for something to drink last thing at night, perfect. Uh, so that's your good thing for the week. What's your bad thing for the week? What have you been up to? <laughs> well, Have you actually been up to anything? Because usually it's it's just no, isn't it? And this is just I a blank have. section. Things have happened. Things have happened. There's stuff Hooray! in this section. Bad things have happened. Hooray! <laughs> Last week was the great fall of 2022. It's happened, everyone. It's happened. Who had this on their bingo card for June? I don't think, yeah, I don't think I've had a great fall this year yet, have I? I like you do like to declare it a great fall as I, well. Yeah, I do, because there will be minor falls. I'm sure I have had a minor fall this year, but this is the great fall. <laughs> so I um, I fell over on the boardwalk near my flat again. Again, yeah, I, cool. I felt like I've fallen over there multiple times. Uh, to be fair, and I feel like an old lady saying this, but I do want to get onto the council about it because it's a boardwalk, so that they're wooden boards and they're all like um, warped. So it was, oh, it's yeah. a very easy place to trip over, and I feel quite dangerous. You know, to I feel be it's fair, quite dangerous. Yeah, that is something if it's, if it's a trip hazard, you should be getting on something about that. I endorse that. I never know whether something truly is a trip hazard to the general public or if it's just a trip hazard to me, which is pretty much if you everything. tripped on it, it's worth flagging, isn't it? Yeah, but then I'd also be flagging just flat concrete as well. So I, I do like right, to get okay. a second opinion. I do think it's dangerous, though, objectively. I think, you know, there's... Th- anyway, anyway, enough anyway, about no. that. I tripped on it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about that. Now, I have fallen on this this uh, boardwalk before, like I said, but that's been on the way starting my run. So it's right near my flat. So that's been like 0.2 miles, you know, 0.02 miles into a run. And I've just fallen over a bit and been fine. This was on the way back from a, I think it was like a six or seven mile run. Oh, that's all right. So I went down like a sack of shit. Because I was tired. <laughs> My bad falls always when I'm tired. And it's almost in slow motion because it's the sort I'm tripping over all the time when I'm running, when I'm walking. But you know when you trip and you sort of just pick yourself back up mm-hmm. mid-trip and get, you know, you're back on your feet. That, it's like I tried to and I just hit the deck. I just stacked it um, really hard. And I had Pippin with me and Pippin just stood there. I was like, oh, did Pippin do anything? I'm like, no, she just stood there. She's just like, yeah. just, like oblivious. Um... And worst of all, two people were watching me. <laughs> they, they, was, they were stood on the boardwalk, just looking out at the... Well, they were actually looking at me as well as I was running towards them. And I was looking at them, and that's probably why I fell. Yeah. <laughs> I just hit the ground. Um, which was... Having them witness it was probably more painful than the fall, just a bit. <laughs> um, so I, I sort of picked myself up off the ground, and I like ran past them very cheerily saying, Just bruised my ego! Oh, um, that's know, a well-practiced line. You've classic, been thinking about that one, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just my ego. This bruise. I've always got that one ready, just in case. But as I sort of rounded the corner away from them, I looked down and realised that most of my skin off my knee was on the boardwalk still. <laughs> so I had this massive bleeding. Like it was massive, like a, a, almost like a graze, but from an impact. Yeah. And it was all across my kneecaps. They must have thought as I jogged past with all this blood streaming down my leg and a massive, you know, hole in my knee. What is she on about? Is she okay? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, were, <laughs> they must have been a bit confused by that. I thought it was just one of my silly falls. It's like, oh, it just hurts a bit. But it did actually swell. It, like I had two kneecaps, basically. It was quite an, quite a a substantial impact and i also pulled my achilles while i did it so (laughs) not funny (laughs) yeah yeah which is actually when i did my long run today it started hurting again so that could be actually an injury i've sustained an actual injury i've sustained by being a dick and falling over um best of it was i was on the phone to my mum at the time and long time listeners will know i like to call people and have a rant as i'm running and just Mm -hmm. you know basically i provide an audio book for them as i'm running um so i fell over as i hit the ground i went oh shit like that and my mum's just like talking away in my ear i'm like (laughs) getting up i'm going just a minute mum just a minute (laughs) she's like chatting away i'm like i've fallen over and she's still like chatting away to me and like, and then I did my bit to those people. I was like, just bruise my ego and got around the corner. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I've just fallen over. She went, oh, goodness. Oh, dear. Like, did you not hear me hit the deck and go, oh, shit, like that? Yeah, I think she was just, uh, she was the same thing as you, bro. You're both talking at each other, but neither yeah. of you are listening. Yeah, exactly. We just audio books for each other. So, yeah, that that's definitely, I mean, touch wood, that was the great fall of 2020. Because I don't want anything more horrific to happen mm-hmm. than that. But yeah, it was it was painful on all levels. Well done. <laughs> How was your week? Did you have any falls? No, no, because I'm you know basically competent uh, in that kind of staying upright. Um, I did support Holly on an ultra last week. She went off and did some mad run around the Brecon Beacons, which looked lovely. And the uh, events company that did it, it's the only time I've ever seen it, actually, they do the same four events. They do 10K half marathon, marathon ultra, and they do them on both days of the weekend, which oh. is a great idea. Because mm. if you're there all weekend anyway, why not? And offer the both so people can do, well, people, some people did like the marathon twice because they're mad. Um, but it means you can choose. You can open it up to more people. That was really good. Um, while she was running, 
I went off and did my own run, so I had to drive out and went over to the beacon to did a, a smaller run. Um, and really, the, the the bits that I have to mention is I got there and I could kind of smell piss when I arrived. And I thought because I'm next to a, between a reservoir and there was like down, you know, where the water flowed through. There's like a pumping station or something. I thought oh, perhaps it's something from that. But I thought well, the reservoir is not going to smell of piss at this point. So I wasn't sure. But anyway, I kind of got my harness on with William and we went off for a lovely run. Found some sheep in the forest. That was always fun with a sheepdog. It's great fun. Um, I had to lift William over two locked farm gates as well. I had to figure out how to do that. Like I had to lean right over the gate, lift him up by his harness and go through some fields. I didn't think I was supposed to be able to go through because it didn't look like anyone had ever gone through there. But I checked the maps and they were footpaths. Uh, anyway, um, got back to the car. And then, you know, we're sitting there because it was quite a warm day with the um, doors open in the car, William in the back, just us cooling off before we um, headed back. And again, this really strong stench of piss. And I just couldn't think what, and I just kind of, then when I got out of the car, I looked and there was a slight uh, dark patch on the road. So I think there'd been like some camper vans there and either someone in the middle of the night has come out and just pissed on the road or they've emptied out their like piss pot they must from their camper it. van. Yeah. They've I emptied mean, it right there because yeah. it was like stale and nasty piss. Oh my God. And I was like, well, it happened to be right where I um, parked up and I was behind a camper van as well. So I guess a few of them had parked up there overnight for dogging i guess that's what camp fan people do <laughs> shout out to your mum driving around europe um so yeah that was exciting that was the exciting parts of my run i'm sure there's nice bits to the run i could mention but that's not not really what this podcast is for um i also did some more orienteering and now i feel like i'm shit at orienteering like i finished the race and i feel furious because in this one in particular i just did so many stupid bad decisions um, and I just got really frustrated with it and kind of gave up about two-thirds of the way in and kind of jogged it to the end. But I looked at the results. I, I finished 13 out of 22, which is pretty good. And actually, out of the unaffiliated runners, the people that weren't members of the orienteering club, I was second. So I'm like, I guess I'm actually okay, Yeah, I suppose. But it just feels like, again, it's the way I, I treat it. I was just furious with myself the whole time. And I even, beforehand tried to do some research tried to do some homework on our routine to get a bit better now they mark out the checkpoints you know one in this case one to 17 and they also give you like little symbols to let you know what kind of feature the control point is on so it'd be like a tree or a fence or uh, some steps or something like that so you give you a bit of a hint as to where they are which is really useful oh that's good i'll look up what all those symbols are i looked up the guidance there are 72 of those symbols oh my god and because it is literally every, because I guess 50 years ago, they went, okay, yeah, tree, fence, steps, bush, park bench. Oh, yeah. And the 50 years later, they've gone, oh, shit, we need this one. We need this one. We need this one. And my favorite one, there's a combined symbol for gas pipeline or bobsleigh track, <laughs> which I guess you don't find too many of and perhaps not in the same place. So no. <laughs> gas pipeline or bobsleigh track. Then we need a symbol for that as well. So, God. But yeah, so I've kind of given up. I learned like six of them, that are the, the ones I'm likely to find in a British park and I'm just going to give up on the rest. Because it's not only that, it also tells you where they are with a different symbol. So where they are, you know, on this on this feature could be the top, bottom, left, right, above, below, between, middle, inside, outside, on a junction, on a crossroad. It's just, it's a nightmare of symbols. It I does make sense, but there are too many. I don't know why you thought I could do this. I'm really glad that I was working and couldn't make this one. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know why you think I can do this. And I know that's why you want me to do it. Yeah. But you know I'm just going to rage quit 10 minutes you into it. Think of the content. But... <laughs> well, as, you, as we'll hear uh, in our interview a little bit later on, 
um, very soon. Um, there are different levels of it, and they do make it you know easier for beginners. Right. So yeah, it is still a good uh, way to access the sport. So yeah, I did I did enjoy it, but I also was furious the whole time. It's, it's one of those races for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also with our club, uh, we did a game of rounders yesterday and trail running today. I say the rounders because it was very funny. Uh, one of the guys managed to grab the ball in the field, throw it long into the face of his three-year-old daughter. Oh, wow. Which isn't funny, but it is. It's not funny, is, no. It's not it funny. is quite funny. It is. Yeah. And he, he was also the person that then hit the ball into the face of someone else. Who then decided to not carry on the, the game either. And while she was being hit in the face, someone who was running pulled his, uh, one of his muscles in his leg. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it was, it was quite a bad attrition rate for a game of rounders. And today, trail running, we only had one person turn back with, a, with an old injury. So, actually, rounders is officially more dangerous than trail running. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and also, another thing that's not related to running at all, but I think people will enjoy because, you know, it's at my expense. Uh, I went to see dolphins. I mean, that's a good thing for me in uh, Cardigan Bay in West Wales on a boat. Uh, apparently, they hadn't seen dolphins all day. We were there, end of the day, loads of dolphins everywhere, jumping around, jumping right out of the water as well, which was amazing. Um, I spent most of the trip throwing up over the side of the boat, and I was the only one doing it. I was gutted. To be fair, there was a very funny video posted of you on social media looking very sorry for yourself. Yeah, I was very, very sad. Because like, everyone's at the back of the boat, on like the back right of the boat, just to get the best photos of the dolphins. I'm looking through them, but I'm keeping the opposite side to everyone else. Although if I throw up, I don't want to be doing it near people. I don't want to ruin it for them. So I was very good about it, I think. My, my top tip, if you are going to go on a boat to see dolphins and the water's looking a bit choppy, if you're having lunch, have some water with your lunch because it makes it much easier to throw up. Yeah, yeah. I just had a pizza with no, I didn't have a drink beforehand. And it was it was quite hard work to throw that up. But apparently even the captain of the boat said, oh, perhaps I chummed the water for the dolphins. Perhaps they were like, oh, well, hey. <laughs> What's this? Nice bit of pizza's come up. So perhaps that's what did it. But I was so gutted that I was the only one. There's all these kids on there. They were absolutely fine. Everyone else on there, absolutely fine. Just me over the edge throwing up my lunch. That would probably be me too. I like. Yeah. I, I can't hack sea travel. Um, I was asked beforehand, oh, are you okay with like being on a boat? Don't know. I'll find out. I guess the answer is no. So there we go. That's a good laugh for everyone of me being sad and throwing up while looking at dolphins. My friend who's washed off, she was like jumping up and down and clapping. She was so excited. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's terrific. I'm just going to be over here on the opposite side to everyone else. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's find out more about orienteering. It's time for our guest. Well, as you all know, I've been doing a bit of orienteering recently, so we thought it would be useful for you to hear a little bit more about it from someone who actually knows what they're doing. So we're talking to Claire Dallimore from the South Wales Orienteering Club. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thank you. Um, So first up, let's have a little bit more about you and your running background. Um, Well, I guess I've been a I wouldn't call myself a runner, um, but I have been running for probably most of my life now I think that Um, counts but I wouldn't necessarily call myself a runner I've gone through like phases of my Mm -hmm. life like a few years where I've definitely had a focus on running and being like keen on running and then I'll kind of usually get injured but then I'll go off it for a few years I'll go and do something else and then I'll kind of come back to it so I'm a kind of intermittent runner okay and you do a few different things as well, because I've seen you at fell runs as well. 
Yeah, so I do a lot. Um, so, yeah, so my the main sort of running I do is, I would call myself a fell runner. Mm-hmm. I run on roads as a necessity just because of where, you know, I live in Cardiff. And yeah. although we have some lovely trails, you have to run on a bit of road to get mm-hmm. to the trails. Um, but if I had my choice, I'd be running on the trails. Um, yeah, so I do fell running, uh, orienteering, which is kind of why I'm mm-hmm. here. Um, and then I do some cycling. So I do quite a lot of cycling, mainly mountain bike, cyclocross. Um, I do some kayaking. Uh, what else do I do? <laughs> oh, bit of, uh, Very occasionally I will go caving, but less and less of that now. Um, and when I was in North Wales, I used to climb, but I don't do that anymore. I've got not got enough time. So, yeah, I do a bit of everything, really. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like you're you're out a lot of the time then. Yeah. So we want to talk a lot about kind of orienteering. And so how did you get into that originally? Um, so I first went orienteering because of my dad. So my dad um was a kayaker and he ended up doing or being asked by some people to do a race in the Outer Hebrides in Scotland, which was the length of the Outer Hebrides. And you had to, as a team, kayak, or as a kind of relay team, you had to kayak, run. Uh, they must have cycled a bit, but there was some orienteering in that. Mm. And I can't remember whether you had to do it or... Uh, anyway, as part of that, he took us to like a... Per- I can remember going to like a permanent orienteering course in the mm-hmm. Forest of Dean, which is one of these ones where there's like wooden posts in the forest and you get the map at the visitor's centre and you kind of go trekking through the brambles Mm. trying to find these wooden marker posts and often half of them have disappeared and anyway so that was our kind of family first experience of going orienteering Um, and then I think he must have then found South Wales Orienteering Club or anyway somehow we ended up getting taken orienteering mm-hmm. um and so I probably first started when I was about 12 oh, okay um so yeah I've been doing it for a long time which is definitely an advantage um because there is a learning curve associated with orienteering um but I would say the kind of orienteering that I do is like competitive sport orienteering not what you do as part of school brownies cubs that kind of yeah that's that's the thing I think when I first saw things about orienteering first thing comes into my head was cubs because that's where I did it last and I think it's possibly got that little thing the same as like cross country people associate it with something they did when they were a kid and they don't and there's been a big gap and all of a sudden it pops up again they're like oh that's a seems like an odd thing to do almost but for you it's just been a part of your life forever yeah, but I'm definitely still put off going and doing like cross country races because of the memories of doing cross country races in yeah. school. And I think it is the same thing. Like people think of orienteering and they think of what they did in school mm. as part of D or V or whatever in the rain, kind of forced to do it as part of a PE lesson that no one really wanted to be there. Whereas actually it's quite a I'd say it's a sort of sport for everyone like of any real age we have kids that are kind of like five or six mm-hmm. all the way up to I think the oldest member of our club is in their 80s or 90s 
you know. And well, I bet they can read a map at a glance, though. Well, maybe not now. With the, okay. you know, they need their reading glasses. Oh, well, of course, yeah. But I like a quick glance at the map, and they've memorized the whole lot. Yeah, but I think that's one of the really nice things is that because it's got the slightly mental sort of thinking aspect mm. to it. It, it makes it a bit better. Like, I'm never going to be the winner of a running race because I'm just not that fast. Whereas, actually, when you put in a kind of element of route choice and deciding whether you go around the path or, like, through the forest, you know, I actually have a chance of... Mm. And it, I think it makes it a, like, a slightly more even ground for people. And, yeah. Yeah, there's it's various different the, ways to do to do everything yeah um so talk us through it kind of for people that aren't quite sure what we're talking about when we're saying like orienteering in this kind of event kind of what does it mean how does it work um so if you came to one of our orienteering events um it's held in a park uh in a forest in a sand dune or on top of the mountain anywhere really um, and we will have made a special map. And the map is a kind of zoo- really zoomed in, more zoomed in than your kind of OS map. It's like a 10,000 map. So it'll be a small area, um, usually fairly well defined so that you can't actually go off the map and be lost forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll turn up and there'll be a registration area. You might, you might register on the day, you might register in advance. And then the idea is that you start and you have a series of checkpoints anywhere between kind of like 10 and 20. Um, They're all marked on the map and they're marked on the ground with these like special orange and white flags. Um, And you have to get around the checkpoints as fast as you can back to the finish. Um, And you need to use the map to do that. Um, And so our kind of beginners course, which we send like the 10 sort of for 10 year olds, um, most of the checkpoints are on like paths and path junctions. So they'd have to go along a path at the junction, there'd be a checkpoint mm-hmm. and then they'd then hopefully choose the right turning and then go down the next path where there'd be a next checkpoint at the junction. And that's kind of the easiest level it gets to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as it gets harder, there's the checkpoints are kind of off the paths or they might be on things that are less obvious so for example they might be on like hills or like little depressions in the ground where you're going to need to be able to use the contours and other details on the map to find them and that's where the navigation comes in and into it a little bit more in that you need to be happy kind of taking a bearing or understanding what how contours on the map translate into the real world mm-hmm. um and so, yeah, but it's a kind of, you can treat it as a race or you can just treat it as a challenge of going around and finding all the checkpoints and taking the satisfaction that you found them all and, and got back. Yeah. Um, it's really whatever you want to make of it. Yeah, and it's a really useful skill. It's a skill that more people, and it could more and more people are doing trail races and fell races now. People are starting to get into the kind of harder fell races. You need to be able to read a map for these. And, you know, because there's, you know, of course, when you're training, you know, if you're planning your own routes or potentially getting lost, um, watches and phones not working, it's a it's a very useful thing to be able to, to do. 
Yeah, definitely. And I would also say for our for the fell races, although a lot of the ones around here are on like fairly well maintained, you know, they're on obvious mm. paths, but there are quite a few where you do have to you can cut corners. Um cutting the corner is often the fastest route. Mm. But you need to have the confidence to use your map to be able to do the kind of shortcuts. So yeah. no, it definitely comes in useful for other other events and other sports. Mm. So what kind of people are turning up to these events? Is it specific people who just do orienteering or that's their focus or is it kind of fell runners and trail runners looking to improve those skills? So I would say that orienteers are a fairly, most, most orienteers will also run. Um, and I would say that there's very few people who just do one one mm. thing or one sport. Um, there are a dedicated few, um, but most. So, for example, like so, Matt O'Keefe is in our club, and he was mm-hmm. Simon's friend who was third in the Dragons Back race last year. So, you know, we've there's quite keen runners, but who do a bit of orienteering on the side just for kind of because of I think they enjoy it. I don't yeah. know. They seem to keep coming back, but. Um, yeah, and then we've got quite a lot of keen families who come along because the nice one of the nice things about orienteering, especially so I've got an 18-month-old daughter, and one of the nice things is because we have a start, because it's run as sort of like a time trial, so we have a start window that might be open for two or three hours. So I can run first, go round, and then tag team childcare with my husband, who then can go and run second Mm -hmm. and so whereas if I was doing a normal running race one of us wouldn't be allowed able to run because it's a mass start and it so you know it's really nice and like kind of family friendly and that's kind of why we've come back to it now yeah that's why I've noticed in all the races I've done uh with the club um there's been loads of kids doing it as well either there'll be like older kids maybe doing it together I've seen a few I think kind of cubs and scouts doing it as well and just families and you know mums and dads taking their kids around and like trying to get the kids to have a look at the map as well yeah and that's and that's kind of how you start as a junior is that Mm -hmm. you'll you'll maybe do a few with you know it's not like you suddenly chuck your kid out in the middle of nowhere although my parents did do that to my brother no um (laughs) (laughs) but um you know you you'll go around as a parent and then you'll have someone what we call shadowing so you'll Mm -hmm. maybe have an adult just following you at the dis- at a distance so the child did do kind of the navigation but just have someone keeping an eye and mm-hmm. um, and so yeah it's a kind of really nice kind of gradual introduction for juniors but I think that's where it, it is slightly harder as an adult starting orienteering is that you may be like yourself you're quite a fast runner but then you can't think and you can't navigate as fast as you can run. And that's where you get unstuck. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it makes me crazy when I, when I've missed a checkpoint or I know I've gone the wrong way and have to double back. Oh, I get so angry. So yeah. it, it's, it's, so I've been telling people like, I do really enjoy it. I've done, you know, like four of them now and I'll do more when I can, but it makes me so stressed. But I think other people won't find that because they're probably not as competitive as I am like that. Cause I think I'm better than I am. And this is this proves that I'm not. But that's so that's but that's the same. I'll get that. I I am quite a competitive person, but I will get that same frustration Mm -hmm. 
if I go to an event and I get lost and and I think that's where you kind of get better at orienteering is that you don't actually suddenly improve your navigation massively there are techniques you can learn Hmm. but you actually your mistakes will go from being like a 20 minute mistake to a 10 minute mistake to a five minute mistake and then like the top elite people will count a mistake as like a five second mistake and they'll be like oh i made a five second mistake at that control and i'm like really (laughs) i lost a whole minute there (laughs) like yeah so um it's how big the mistakes are that is what changes Hmm. And we'll have more from Claire a bit later on. Moving on, if you want to contribute to this bullshit, you can do just that at patreon.com forward slash running is bullshit. And the people that did that this month are... Gordy Thelwell, Andy Robbins, Anthony Howe, Penny Simpson, Marty Kaplan, Drew Edward, Karen Blay, Matt Caffin, Amanda Murray Hind, Colin Hill, Kel Ryder, Claire Dina, Charlie Neverson, Debbie Hurley, Greg Collins, Gabby Thomas, Naya, Paul Hibbert, Elizabeth Chaban, Karen Hamilton, Mad Garner, Gail Seal, Rich Skirm, A.P. Shambolic, Adolf Neil Denton, Len Martin, Ivor Hewitt, Sherry Grubbs, Jonathan Carter, Hugh Phillips, H. Viola Grep, Steph Hall, Max McCarty, Jacassi Jones, David Irwin, Victoria Dick, Simon Grimshaw, Matthew. Foster swells Nikki Genders, Ian Hales, Jason Spinks, Matthew Moore, Kath Everard, Brian Simpson, Stuart Stevens, Victoria Magnus, Matt Jones, Sophie Jakes, Carl Fleming, Ian Thompson, Rachel Bentley, Matt Jezioski, Lisa Gibbon, Elliot Line, Matt Lees, James Lambert, Amanda E. Hernandez. Ruth KP, Catherine Fenton, Maria Wicks, Clark Gilmore, Liz Reese, Sam Wally, Julia Page, Kirk Shepard, Bernadette McCarthy. And don't forget to get in touch with your running bullshit on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search Running is BS and let us know why you particularly hate running this week. Oh, we're going to start with a big one. Um, we had quite a few messages this week about a trail festival in the Lake District from a company called Trail Pursuit, and it all went a bit wrong. And Amy and I, we both spent some happy time reading through their Facebook reviews. So it seems about a week or so before the event, the organisers hit some problems with their routes and were forced to make changes or cancel the event. The problem is, the new routes they chose were insane. The half marathon was originally advertised with 300 metres of elevation gain, and great for beginners. Uh, the new route had 1,800 metres of elevation. That is over 5,500 feet. Eight of the runners on the half marathon took over 10 hours 
to do and it was well 15 and a half miles rather than 13 as well um, I had a look at the, all the results. The median time of the runners. So the time of the person who finished bang in the middle was 6.09. So that is a brutal course yeah. that so many runners would have been so unprepared for. Because it was advertised to beginners as well. A lot yeah. of their sort of social media stuff were saying, this is great, a great introduction to trail running. Yeah, like 300 metres for a half marathon in the Lake District is kind of nothing. I did 380 this morning on a 10K. You know, yeah. when I, I considered that a fairly beginnery kind of one for people in my club. Mm-hmm. So eighteen hundred meters is more than I've ever done. That is that is bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um even the middle time of the ten K was three hours ten Jeez. for a ten K. The final runner came in at nine hours and five minutes for a ten K. It, oh, it's just incredible. One runner described it as eighty percent unrunnable with scrambling and loose scree and early single-file sections that all 540 runners were released into at once. There were no trackers, there were no mobile signal, and there was only one water station. Um, Perhaps tellingly, they've now removed the reviews from their Facebook page, they've deleted comments and turned off comments on the more contentious posts, which is not a good sign. They did quite quickly, the day after, issue an apology on their Facebook page, which acknowledged the mistakes that they'd made, which I thought was actually pretty good in the circumstances, because it said, these are the reasons why it's happened. We're really sorry. We recognize it was bad. We had a decision to make. We might not have got it right. I thought, okay, that's a pretty good apology. Um, And on the other side of it as well, there are actually a lot of positive reviews from people who really enjoyed the challenge. But I think it's fair to say that the people who were like that were the really experienced trail and fell runners. Because like a lot of this, it was not on paths that you could run or, you know, normal people could run. It certainly was not a beginner event. And I think they do um, just, uh, you know, from looking at social media and what other people have said, they do sort of sponsor some runners. So they Mm -hmm. wear all the kit and they get them to run the races. And some of the more positive reviews were coming from people who were friends with the with the race organizer so yeah they do have some ambassadors yeah though it was pointed out to me one of their ambassadors i won't say who they are um did the race enjoyed it but didn't tag them in their post on instagram Mm. and just talked about a flapjack instead (laughs) so that's not great when they don't even mention the name of the event that they're supposed to be ambassadoring Mm. i thought that was good um but yeah that's it's crazy i was just looking through these reviews unfortunately sorry guys you can't look at them now because they've deleted them all (laughs) Uh, another great thing I liked about it, you could buy a shower pass for the weekend for £15 extra. But there are only 10 showers between over a 1,000 runners. God, I have seen people saying this is like the, the fire festival of the running yeah. world. I just, I know they put, they published an apology, but from reading, I, I read through all the reviews on uh, Facebook. I also read through mm-hmm. all the Instagram comments. And, you know, if it was just a few of these reviews and posts like this, I'd maybe think it was a bit of hyperbole, but... It sounded really dangerous. Like, I mean, yeah, really properly, genuinely. Dangerous. If people that are going on a 10K probably wouldn't have had any kit on them. They probably wouldn't have had any water on them. And so, yeah, someone was out there for nine hours. And I saw somebody saying that, um, you know, because people were out there for so long, the people that were spectating and waiting for relatives and friends were getting quite worried about them. Yeah, yeah. And when they approached um, some of the the members of staff and the race organizer they just would just shrug their shoulders sort of thing they didn't seem too bothered about Mm. going out and and finding people because i mean how do you do that with so many people and people got lost like people were up on on the hills getting completely Mm. lost and i like i said although they've published an apology i think it's it's what's happened it's been too dangerous and too much and a lot of people were saying you know it's a good 
it's really lucky no one was killed or very mm. seriously injured. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I, it, I think if if that was my company, I'd have to not do any of these events again. I think it was far too far too much of a disaster and far too dangerous. I don't think an apology is quite cutting it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From from the fallout of it, I've seen some people have reported them to kind of various authorities as well because they mm. think it was a genuinely dangerous event and without the proper you know, risk assessments in place, which, yeah, wouldn't surprise me. They were but. saying the only thing that, the only thing that saved people really was the good weather. And that if it if yeah. it had been bad weather, then there would have been potential fatalities, you know? Oh, yeah, because it's the Lake District. It's, it's not a joke. I know a lot of people go there for tourism and stuff, but you've got to take it seriously. They've done events in the Brecon Beacons as well. Mm. And apparently it wasn't, if they weren't great, they wasn't as bad as this, but they haven't been great. And again, you don't mess around in places like that. No, and the fact that they were marketing it to new new trail runners, you know, I think that's really mm-hmm. that's really dangerous. But even the more expensive, uh, but even the more experienced trail runners. So there was some people in the comments saying, you know, I do a whatever marathon and a really quick half marathon and whatever, and saying they're really experienced. Were saying it took me seven hours and I was absolutely mm. terrified. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that elevation on the half marathon i think i'm pretty experienced but i've never run that that much elevation in one go that's a lot more than i've done and probably more than i would attempt really no and you look at some of the pictures like it's that much elevation all of that it's not even proper trails really they're really gnarly trails oh yeah yeah really really indistinct paths and kind of Mm. yeah it's it's fell running a lot of it basically which is which is scary so yeah just something to look at if you're looking at trail festivals and races and things like that do your research first have a look at a bit of their history get some reviews uh, as much as you can just to see what they've done in the past because these things can happen is that a normal thing to pay extra for showers at a trail festival because that's uh, that's not it, nice it can be a normal thing at festivals full stop but that's really expensive yeah. and also no one was policing the wristband system so if you're going to put that in place <laughs> fair enough I, I understand the logic of making people pay for showers if they're l- limited supply well that was the other thing as well was they were running out of water on the at the checkpoints and they were getting yeah. this water apparently from these buckets full of flies and stuff like really unhygienic oh, water mate. I just, yeah, the whole thing sounds like an utter disaster and I think they should just shut down, to be honest. And it, also, it, about doing your research, I think if something doesn't seem quite right, it's better to be safe than sorry. So obviously they did change the route really last minute, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, a, a week or so before. Don't trust don't trust them because you might think, oh, they know what they're doing. Just think, no, this isn't, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. I'm not going to bother. Yeah. On a more positive note, Gabby Nyer has been in touch and said, Love today's fell race so much. I ran an extra mile. It turns out my navigation is BS. I ended up in the actual field where they held sheepdog trials. <laughs> Quite a surprise for the poor dog rounding up sheep to instead find me. <laughs> How do these things happen to her so much? <laughs> I've just seen another message from her. said she accidentally put her phone in the oven. What? And like it, the case melted all over a garlic bread. I mean, how, just how does how that is, happen? How is her life? Oh, Gabby, it's you know it needs to be rather than Murphy's law, it needs to be Gabby's law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> God, I don't even think things can go wrong to normal people. Who runs into the middle of a sheepdog trial? <laughs> Gabby Naya and uh, pig school babe, I guess. <laughs> just those um, two. <laughs> Also seen on social media, Katrin Fenton is now being advertised Silicon Rings. And 
Well, when I look past this anyway, when I glance at this image, I just immediately think cock rings. Because it's just <laughs> it's an image full of these silicon rings. And the, the tagline on it is then, protect your ring. And I just get even more confused. Like, what the hell is this? Protect but no, more, more silicon rings to, oh, to wear God. instead of metal ones, I guess. Yeah, we get it. Like, I get it if you go to the gym all the time, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At Yellow Mag says 7:45 p.m. race starts. A bullshit. It's almost my bedtime. Definitely yeah. legit. I go to bed at 8 p.m. Yeah, I think 7:45 is about the latest you could possibly do. I've done some 7:30s in the summer. That's okay. 7:45, or if it's a short race, maybe. But I think that's as late as you can go. No, no, I am in bed at eight. You know, when you're yeah, a kid and you get sent fair. to bed at eight, and the in the summer, and the birds are still chirping, and the lights out, and you're like, "What is going on?" Yeah. That's like, I don't mind the bird chirping as an adult. I am hitting my head on the pillow and going to sleep at eight p.m. Don't care. Yeah, I remember being in my bedroom and my friends would come and like knock on the door to see if I was coming out. I'm like, "No, I'm in, I'm in bed." <laughs> what was that it's last week? <laughs> Right, not our friends going round to my house. Come on, that joke does not work. Uh, Nicola Forwards had a new running low. She just painted on a fake big toenail after hers fell off from a hundred miler. Gross. <laughs> just painted it on. No one will know. Just paints it on the bare skin. That's gross. I hate stuff like that. Uh, at I underscore am underscore Vic said, fair weather runners are bullshit. Too many people out now on routes I had to myself in winter. I am unhealthily resentful of people who appear once it's warm and, and dry and light. Same applies to fair weather dog walkers too. This is our route. Go home. You know exactly how I feel about this. I'm in yeah. agreement. Absolutely. Um, at Eden Cottage said... Finally coming back from injuries. Yes, plural, and none of them done whilst running, which is also total bullshit. Just five weeks, but my first ever ultra is bullshit. Oh, that's not much time. <laughs> that's risky. She went on, also, having people you're not keen on insisting on visiting and going for a day out, lots of slow walking, after a big day out on the fells and probably destroyed legs is going to be absolutely bullshit. Well, let's hope they're not listening to this or that's going to be awkward. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> wow, don't don't go and visit Eden Cottage because she does not want you there. No, no, and especially if you're walking slow. Jesus. Oh. Well, I'll keep it to a seven miles an hour. That is a bad thing about um, running holidays where you go to do like a big race because like the day before you think, well, I don't want to do too much. I've got a race tomorrow. Then you do the race and you're knackered. Then the next day like, oh, should we go out? And no, I just want to kind of just just stay in bed. And next, that's two days gone from your holiday, three days gone from your holiday then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, let's get back to Claire and hear a bit more about orienteering. And for people going along the first time, you know, there's no need to race it. You can just take your time and, you know, if it's somewhere that you're familiar with as well, you can just take your time, look at it and run between them and treat it however you want it. You know, you don't need to, it's like anything, right? You don't need to treat it as an all-out race. Yeah, not at all. And yeah, you can, and you don't even have, we give you a, you know, there are results produced, mm -hmm. but you don't have to look at them and, yeah, just, yeah, go away with the satisfaction that you did it. I do like the results because they're all set by split because on the one I did the other day is 17 checkpoints and it shows the time between every checkpoint and your position in between. That. So, you know, if you want to get into that, you can, which I do enjoy doing. So if we're going to talk a bit more nerdy about this as well, um, the map part of it and setting up how do you go about planning a route 
because obviously you have to have the three different um, distances, but how do you know what's hard enough or where you can hide things? So in terms of the setup of an orienteering event, mm. um, so, so all of our club events put on by volunteers. Um, so there's always a planner who plans the courses um, and then there'll often be an organiser who does the kind of like logistics and getting permission and stuff. And then for big events, there's also a controller and the controller's job is to check that the planner has planned the courses to the guidance mm -hmm. and that they're safe and that you're not sending people like kind of swimming across a river for yeah. example that kind of thing mm -hmm. um so the planner is supposed to plan the courses according to the british orienteering um like rules and regulations mm -hmm. and essentially there's different difficulties um so you can plan so the different there's like five different difficulties the first one is like the easiest possible where all of the controls are on paths or path junctions and that's kind of for our like beginner kids that are about sort of mm -hmm. anywhere 10 to 14 and then the next level up you might be putting controls slightly off the path and then you go all the way up to number difficulty number five where none of the controls should be on paths they should all be on kind of like individual features that mm. are kind of tricky to find um but it's not the actual finding of the flag so they shouldn't be hidden so mm. if you're on the hill you should be able to see it yeah it's the navigation required to find the hill mm -hmm. or to pick the right hill from all of the other hills um and in terms of actually course planning so for example i'm planning forest farm in mm -hmm. a month's time i think it is so I'll just, and I know the area pretty well because I live near there. Um, so I'll get the map. I'll go through a run around and check that the map is still up to date and we mm -hmm. don't need to make any map corrections. Um, and then I just kind of usually try and pick out what I think. I'll, so I'll plan the easy course first um, because that's often actually quite hard to fit in all of the path mm -hmm. junctions and avoid roads and that kind of thing. And then for the challenging course, I like to plan what we call route choice. So that is, um, you've got to get from point A to point B, but you, I want to plan it so that there's more than one way of getting there mm. and that people have to choose the fastest way to get there. But sometimes the fastest way isn't the most obvious way. Mm -hmm. And that's where actually quite a lot so one of the challenges of orienteering is to pick the fastest route but to do it quickly and to then execute it well mm. and so I like to start off with planning some really nice tricky route choices um to kind of catch people out in inverted mm -hmm. commas um and just to get people thinking because that's actually what makes it interesting for for competitors if they're running is that they've got something to think about and they've had to like go, oh, actually, do I want to go that way or that way? Yeah. And even better is if you can plan a route where they'll run it halfway and then they'll suddenly have that horrible fear where they go, oh, no, I've just spotted I should have gone the other way. Yeah. And you try and tempt them to actually turn around and go back the other way. <laughs> That's like the perfect thing is to get the indecisive so people. <laughs> oh. But yeah. So I'll plan, so I'll plan kind of like try and get a couple of really good route choice legs in 
and then I'll kind of like make up the distance and kind of see where else people want to go because also you don't want to be running over the same bit of ground Mm -hmm. twice because then it just gets too familiar and you know where you're going so you want to make sure you cover you know as much of the area as you can really yeah um yeah and then hope it's nice and that it all makes sense and yeah yeah that's and then send it send it off to the printers the printers send it back to Mm -hmm. us and then we're good to go that sounds really fun that the setup of an event for a map nerd like me that does sound really really good um so if anyone is listening and they think they might want to give it a go what are your top tips for someone approaching this for the first time um so i would say go for your first event go slowly and just try and find all of the checkpoints don't don't try and go too fast and just kind of accept that you're going to have to be a beginner for, you know mm-hmm. until you and then once you've done one you kind of understand the map what all the symbols mean and you've kind of got the hang of it then you can try and go faster um and then in terms of going faster you want to think of it all as a kind of traffic light system so you want to divide your root legs up into a bit you can go fast for and then you want to pick like a really obvious feature that you're going to see when you're running fast like a sort of big fence corner or then you know you've got to get to that fence corner and then that's going to be your orange section where which is going to take you up close to the control so you're need, going to need to like slow down and take it steady for that bit maybe walk it if you're kind of new to it mm-hmm. and then there's your red section which is the bit actually around the control so like making sure that you're actually going to pick the right feature that you need to to go to and that kind of traffic light system will also get you a long way because it stops you running off like headless chicken yeah i love that that's excellent i'm going to use that next time thank you so much um so where can people find out about uh, races and kind of races in other parts of the uk so um british orienteering is the governing body that covers the whole of the uk um and if you go on their website uh which is I think it's britishorienteering.org.uk mm-hmm. um, and then on there there's a button that I think it says go orienteering or try orienteering um, and then you then click on events it'll come up with the British Orienteering events map um, and that's got a map where it shows all of the events in the UK for the next 10 weeks mm-hmm. I think but you can look further ahead Um and it'll it'll show up everything. So events in parks, um, in the mountains, everything. Yeah. And if you're around anywhere near us, look up South Wales Orienteering Club. I can definitely recommend those events myself. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, well, you know, look up Orienteering Clubs near you as well. I'm sure there'll be some around. And of course, club races are always the best races because they're nice and cheap and kind of friendly and approachable. Good races. Yeah, and that that would probably be one of my other plus points of orienteering is that yeah. it. It is a relatively low cost for mm-hmm. someone who does cycling as well. If I want to do a cycling event, I'm looking at like a 20 quid for an hour's long event, whereas mm-hmm. orienteering is like, a, well, if you're, it's, our events are three quid if you're a club member yeah. and it's only five, it's only a fiver to join the club. So mm-hmm. that is, it's quite low cost. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, the final question, of course, the most important one. Claire, what is the most bullshit thing about running? Oh, well, I was going to... So 
I was going to complain about the fact that I actually have to go running to get better at running. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but um, Why can't but I be good other, now? <laughs> my other half told me that that wasn't a, a, good, a good thing. No, no, um, I, I am, I'm absolutely on board with that one. But if you've got something else... We're, well, we're... my other... My, my other moan was going to be the fact that I can't like we have between myself and my husband, we have to choose between who's doing what race. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. And I, he entered me for an ultra last year and it was like, uh, this is your birthday treat. You can go into a 30 oh. mile ultra. I know. It was me nice. Sweet. <laughs> and then he got real FOMO about not, uh, <laughs> not doing the event and was then grumpy on the day of the event. And I was like, well, you bought this for me. And, and and only one of us can can run it because one of us has to do childcare. So yeah, yeah that I yeah. If COVID was good because in COVID around us they would some of the fell races were doing like two like events mm. in one to kind of get over the Welsh government's fifty person limit, yeah. and that was quite nice because you could both run the same fell mm-hmm. race just an hour apart. But um, yeah, yeah other than the train. And I've seen there's um, a fell race company that we've done some races with recently. They do their events the same on Saturday and Sunday, which is really great because you can obviously then choose which day you want to do. And obviously yeah, yes. in your situation, that's very useful as well. Yeah. But I, I do absolutely agree with the pettiness of the fact that you have to run more to be able to run more. And that's yeah. just, you know, why can't I be good now? Yeah. And I just, oh, I, I, lo- I love running, but can I like can I get the motivation to go and do intervals when I've been in work all day but but they will make me faster so I know I should go and do them but it's yeah it's the worst thing is that all of those things they work damn it it's not as if you're like well I'll give it a go and see what happens no no if you do it properly it will work and that's even worse because then you really should do it and then when you don't you feel even worse I know and it would help my orienteering as well because like to be able to orienteer you don't just have to be able to read the map you actually have to be able to run fast and a lot of our best orienteers or certainly the elite guys are like crazy fast like chris jones certainly ran the commonwealth 10k Mm. qualifying time you know and he's an orienteer by background is so yeah it would help me but uh still don't like going doing it absolutely agree um Thank you so much, Claire. And thank you especially for taking the time out of your holiday to join us as well. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Hope you have a lovely time with the rest of your uh, week in Cornwall. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I think that's a pretty good advert for orienteering. Hopefully a few people might now give it a go. Now I found out before my last event, there is such a thing as orienteering socks. Mm. I mean, this should really encourage people. If, if the interview doesn't, I think the fact you can buy specific orienteering socks definitely will. Now Geonaut say, at last, a sock designed for orienteers who like going off the beaten track. At last, it's what we've all been begging for. Yep. Thank goodness. Uh, the features for this sock are the fact they're high, so they won't slip down, they reduce blisters on the ball and heel, and they wick moisture. They must be high if they reduce blisters on the ball. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the same as any other long sock, isn't it, so far? Yeah, yeah. To be fair, they do have, like, an extra thicker panel at the front to prevent scratches and stings, which is pretty good. 
But yeah. specific orienteering socks, come on. I mean, they'd be useful as trail socks, full stop. No, 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 it has to be orienteering oh, socks. okay, sorry. I mean, if they, like, glowed blue when you face north or something, that would be really useful. Yeah, built-in compasses and little lights and a map printed on them. That would be very cool. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know how that's any different to fell or trail socks. I don't know why, specifically, I suppose if you're an orienteer, you're probably more likely to go through bushes and things, just because you've got to get to that control point, but... Orienteering socks, amazing. The bullshit, the bullshit running news. So, new research suggesting running marathons could age men by a decade shows that being fit and competitive is not the same as being healthy. That's the headline from Newstalk.com from a study carried out by University College London and two British hospitals, which examined over 300 Masters athletes, including an equal number of men and women. I've seen this discussed in a few different articles from different angles because it seemed like it's quite a big piece of research. But the key takeaway from this one is that men above the age of 40 who had taken part in more than 10 marathon, triathlon or cycling events were found to have a vascular age 10 years older than their chronological age. They used MRIs to determine the stiffness of the aorta, which is like a big artery in your heart or something, uh, and that's associated with increased risk of circulatory and heart disease. However, they did stress the benefits of exercise still outweigh the risks, so we can't actually, unfortunately, use this as an excuse. Mm. I was thinking, as again, now I'm no scientist, so I don't know. I was, I was thinking, so they've looked at marathons, but I wonder if, is it worse for ultras or is it better because in ultras you're not running as fast usually yeah so true is it because i'm again i'm trying to think back to my like gcse level science i'm assuming when you're running faster you're putting more stress on the heart because you're t- having taken more oxygen to power the legs and all that whereas for ultras i mean most people when they're running an ultra they're not running hard their their breath staying the same that you shouldn't mm. be like out of breath and you know all of that for an ultra so i don't know whether that makes a difference because I always worry about these things. I think, well, if a marathon takes a decade off your life or, you know, yeah. a decade off your heart health, what are ultras going to do? Like take three decades off? Like, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, it's an interesting kind of point of view of just that kind of specific heart and circuitry risk by, mm. you know, looking at how stiff your arteries are. Apparently mm. that's a thing. And yeah, men, uh, women are fine, actually do quite well out of it. The hearts oh, that's are quite right, healthy. Then. Oh, I'm not bothered then, it's fine. And but yeah, men above the age of forty apparently can be more of a risk. But as they yeah. said, actually overall the benefits are still better than the risks. So um, mm. I guess again it comes down to individual thing. If you've got a history of heart disease in your family, it's something to try and get checked out first. Mm. There's also a Times article related to this that says how women exercise better in the morning and men exercise better in the evening. So there are other comparisons between men and women that I don't really like as they're very medically based which doesn't always work in the real world. So it says that men will always have the edge in endurance events because they're bigger and stronger, um, which completely ignores the mental aspect of an endurance event. But also, I hate generalizations like this because if you're just an average runner and you're going up against like a super fast club runner, there's a chance a woman could beat you. Like, you know, it's only when you get to like really the elite level where these seconds and stuff matter and, you know, people are at peak performance that I think that these differences are a bit more pronounced. But anyway, to me me also, that seems very laboratory based. Like, well, we've done the maths and men have bigger hearts and bigger lungs and can send more energy to their muscles. So they will be better. Yeah, That's it. And like, well, no, what about the race? 
Yeah, and yeah. You know, the mental aspect of an ultra is possibly greater than the physical in some places. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, women tend to outperform men in ultras for various yeah. reasons, you know, biological and sort of um, mental as well, you know. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it also gives you exercises to do to target different areas of body fat, which you simply can't do, but that's what you get for getting exercise routines from the times. I hate that shit. I hate that. What can I do to make my stomach smaller or my butt bigger? And it's just from, from women usually. I, I just hate it. I hate it. You can't yeah. target body fat. You can make your butt bigger by doing various exercises yeah. but in terms of body fat you can't target body you can't fat. choose which bits to lose no no you can tone up but you can't just oh, yeah. there was another thing in this that said you know looking at some basic things that you know men do burn more calories than women and things but he said like a man of average weight will burn more calories than a woman of average weight so i'm like well what you're looking at there is differences in weight surely yeah because a woman of the same weight as a man of average weight well, will they burn the same? You haven't told me. You've just told me what well, people of different weights will burn. But it seems to me the main difference there is weight, not gender. Well, the, yeah, if they're saying a woman of average weight, comparing yeah, to a which man is of lower, average obviously. weight, yeah, if you're lower in weight, you are burning less calories to stay alive. Men also tend to have more muscle mass than women on the whole because it's yeah. easier for them to build muscle with testosterone. So they will burn more calories with muscle mass like with, with muscle it's just and this whole thing i can't read the actual article i'm just reading your right right above it because it's behind a paywall and i will not pay for the times or sign up yeah. for a shitty free trial um but i'm assuming i'm assuming the better in the morning aspects relates to women and body fat and i think that's like a hormonal thing and oh, okay. all that kind of stuff so i think you know there are some generalizations you can kind of take from this research but Again, really, it does come down to individuals. I mean, yeah, again, you can take a little bit to say, oh, okay, perhaps I'll give that a go. And generally, here's how it might work. But, you know, it, it, of course, at the end of the day, it, it is always individual. Yeah, yeah. And there are other, like, pros and cons. And, and like, the, f- the further you end up running in terms of, say, ultras, the actually women tend to outperform men. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, I wish they'd specify, and again, they might say this in the article, but a lot of articles don't specify. When we're talking about the differences between men and women... We're talking like in terms of competitive advantage. We're talking at a very high level. You could go to a club where the fastest person in that club is a woman because they're mm. they're very, very, very good. And the men in the club just aren't as fast for whatever reason. Mm. Just because you're a man, unless you're at a very elite level, will not make you automatically faster than any woman. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Um, Moving on from the times, uh, the women's record for consecutive marathons has been broken for the third time this year. Apparently, this is the the big thing of 2022 is consecutive marathons. Uh, now, Kay Jaden ran 101, followed by Jackie Hunt Brusma, who ran 104. But now Faye Cunningham and Emma Petrie from Aberdeenshire have run 106 consecutive marathons. Uh, this record actually is also way better than the other two because the other ones were partially run indoors on treadmills and that's bullshit. Does not count. Um, Faye and Emma ran 101 of those 106 marathons with various friends and have raised over £33,000 for motor neuron disease and Macmillan, which is lovely. Yes. Yeah. To be fair, if you're going to do it, then why not? Definitely. I feel like this this will just keep being beaten over and over again. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, this, this is the hot new record to go for. Yeah, I might try it next. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Just mm. <laughs> yeah, not even worth yeah. it. And finally, here we go. Yet another race that's the toughest in the world. Apparently, there's a, there's a lot of those now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. 
This time it's the Everest Marathon, which is run at the stupid altitude of 5,300 meters. And you have to walk for 11 days just to get to the start line. Well, if you've done that a half marathon in Lake District, you'll be perfectly trained for this. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> I think you could even just have the, the medal for it. You know, it's pretty much equivalent. Um, so why it's in the news now is that a British guy has done it with a 9 foot 12 kilogram tiger on his back. Of course. Of course. I will like to add this is a, a fake tiger, not a real tiger, because I was a bit confused about this and then to find out it's for a charity that protects bengal tigers i was like okay that doesn't really make sense but okay <laughs> so it's, it's not a real tiger paul goldstein has done this 19 times before at normal marathons and finished this one in 12 hours raising a hundred grand for the charity worth more alive which protect bengal tigers people do weird things in marathons don't they like something yeah. happens to people's brains they've done a few marathons you, you know what i'm gonna make this awful even more awful than it normally is. Make it even, I mean, they do raise a lot of money and it's you know a way a lot of charities uh, get their income. But it's so weird, the things that go through people's heads. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress as a dishwasher. Or I'm going to... There's, a, of course, the guy at Cardiff Half who drags a cross with him every year. Oh, things, it's just... That's Jesus. So you don't, it's not a waste of money oh, for charity. It? It's just Jesus. Well, to be fair, this guy's got a wheel on it, which I think is cheating. Oh, yeah, you got to move with the times. <laughs> He's got to move with the time. He's going to have it on one of those segues next time. The 12-hour marathon up halfway up Everest with a tiger on your back is just, it's very strange. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, Stuart, what have you got coming up next? Well, it was going to be a three-mile race, but as I said, I've binned that off for reasons I explained. Um, hopefully, I'll be doing a bit more of the Wales Coast Path in Ceredigion, and maybe, most excitingly and unrelated to the podcast in every way, maybe even my first dog show with William. Oh, so excited about that. Is he going to win handsomest boy? Hopefully, yes. We need to practice his sausage catching as well. Ooh. That is a category. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's normal, isn't it? Yeah, if you want to practice your sausage catching with your dog, then that's, I'm not going to judge. Not a euphemism. <laughs> How about you? Well, I have entered a race. Whoa, what? I know. It nearly didn't happen. So I've entered the Black Mountains 13K race in the black mountains as the name suggests in the brecon beacons and it's 13k uh which is on the 25th of june so only a few weeks away so it's me and a friend of the show jen harding jen danger harding that are doing it we were thinking about doing the half marathon but the elevation we thought we are not trained enough for yeah this, well watch out for any route changes the week before yeah yeah oh definitely i'll be right on that <laughs> um so yeah we actually signed up for it i, I did go to enter like me and jen were working out the logis- logistics of it how we're gonna get there all that and by the time we finally worked out i went to sign up and there were no it was closed but i messaged the race organizers who was very very lovely and said no don't worry that's an error you can sign up now. Oh, okay. Because I had like four messages from you about, I might do this and then this and then this and this. Oh, wait, it's closed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. And then loads of face palm emojis. So yeah, yeah that is that is going ahead, providing th- this niggle in my Achilles. Is I did think about this because I was like, I've just signed up for this race literally yesterday. And I go out for a run today and my Achilles starts hurting, which I haven't had to hurt in years. So I don't know. Sod's law. Gabby's law. Um, yeah. that'll be it I'm injured <laughs> well no because no that would be only be the most weird surreal thing happens to you it's oh, not yeah. a normal thing that will happen to you no no definitely um, and then the other thing I've got coming up just a minor thing is that I'm getting married next Saturday Ah, I know we've got the silicon cock rings on order <laughs> 
Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> you know, I like to go to the gym a lot. So just yeah, so everyone just... knows that I am married and don't approach me. Yeah, I'll be wearing... you can just lube up and slide that on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That'll be terrific. Oh, that's lovely. And I'll be there and I can okay. take a photo of you and just say weddings of all shit. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Just take a, like, there'll be some lovely pictures of me and Fry after the wedding, but you need to take, like, the most awful picture. I'll take picture. a really shit one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the most awful picture where I just look really stressed or confused or sad or something. <laughs> well, I'm happy because there's pizza there, there's a few free drinks, and we have to go by 10 o'clock, which is just like yeah. my perfect night out. You know what? I, I was quite pleased by that because where we're getting married is an outdoor venue in, like, a village. So um, there's a noise curfew at 10 o'clock. Oh. And I was glad because it's like, that yeah. is when it's going to end everyone must leave at that time yes, absolutely i <laughs> fully I go fully to agree. bed <laughs> it'll be a magical experience i'm yeah, sure yeah yeah it will it will be a fairy tale experience I mean, it's not, i'm just there for the pizza to be honest yeah 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 the pizza and me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's gonna be pizza and cake so of course i'm gonna be there <laughs> yes Anyway, if you've enjoyed this bullshit, please visit runningisbs.com to see the show notes and links from this episode and the whole back catalogue, as well as links to our Patreon, merch store, and social medias. See you later. Aw, little girls growing up. (laughs) (laughs) I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it.